Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodeschicago.com. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is David Wagner. I'm one of the elders at Missio Dei Humble Park, and we're continuing on in our shared series entitled Fire by Night, Finding God in the Dark. And what we've been doing is looking at people in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, men and women who have journeyed through dark and difficult moments, but that these moments served as defining moments in which God used them to strengthen their faith and to extend his story beyond their circumstance. Today we're in the book of Acts, and what we find is that the church has been established, the Spirit of God has been unleashed upon the earth, and the church is growing quite a lot, quite rapidly. And it's growing in faith, and it's growing in the Holy Spirit, and you find markers of health within the community. They are fellowshiping with one another, they're unified together, they have power in a, a variety and a diverse way amongst them. And that's where we come to this character that we're looking at today named Stephen. Stephen's strengths and characters and position in the church were really marked by the things that I just referenced. Stephen was one of the first deacons, one of the seven. He was uh, the first one mentioned to be a deacon within the Bible. See, as the church began to grow, it grew in a diversity of gifts and also a diversity of need. And so the apostles said, what we need is for people filled with integrity, filled with the spirit of God to serve the practical needs of the body. And Stephen was chosen by the broader community to step into that role. Stephen uh, says in verse three, was full of the spirit and wisdom. Verse five, Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then verse eight, which was just read, is that he was full of grace and power. Now, this is an incredible list of strengths. And if you read through chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Acts, you just see this running list of these attributes of Stephen, all of these things that described who he was. And what I want to do, though, as we launch off this talk, is just focus on one word. And that word is full. Stephen was full. Now, I think we're inspired by by people who are, are full, full of adventure, full of passion, full of vision, full of life. We champion this kind of live in the moment to the uh, absolute fullest, right? Carpe diem. And it, the older that you get, what you, you find is that you want to live faithful and full in the moment, but you also want to see that extended out over the course of your life. You want at the end of your life to say, I lived a life to the fullest, or I drank to the dregs. You want people saying, here's a person who was inspiring because of their fullness or their focus. 
Stephen uh, wasn't partial, but he was full of faith, and our faith story works the same way. We want a faith that's robust. We don't want a faith that's in part. We want a faith that's in full. It makes me think about uh, the Chicago pastor and author A.W. Tozer. He said this, and it's one of my favorite quotes. I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. I want to live a filled life, but I want to live it in the presence of God. And if not, then I'm just going to leave it. I love that audacity and I love that faith. And it's a vision of mine that that would be the heartbeat of our church and of our community, not only in this season, but coming out of it as well. This kind of marks the psalmist in Psalm 16 saying, the Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my cup. And then Psalm 23, it's a really famous psalm. It says this, that you, O God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So I can be filled with the presence even in dangerous, difficult, crazy, uncertain circumstances. I know I'm throwing a lot at you at the fullness of God, but there's a book that you absolutely have to read. It should ignite your spirit for the kingdom of God. It's, a, it's about the... Uh, revival that, that took place at the coastal islands of Scotland called the Hebrides. It's a book called Revival in the Hebrides by Duncan Campbell. And he says this, in the presence of God, we cried, I'm crucified with Jesus and the cross has set me free. Now I live again in Jesus and he lives and reigns in me. He says, that's the secret to holiness, that it's not my holiness, it's his holiness. And it spurs me to pray this, Jesus, empty me and fill me with your fullness to the very brim. And then he gets all pastoral, and I know I got like 15 minutes, so I'm gonna rush through this. But he says, I wanna be real with you for a moment. That's not what he says, that's me saying that, is what he's saying. Uh, but I wanna say this humbly, that to me the greatest reality, the greatest fact in life, is just the presence of the Lord Jesus. And I love him, and I love him. And that to me is greater than all the preaching. That to me is greater than seeing this great revival that the greatest fact in life is the presence of the Lord Jesus, and I love him. For the Lord is my chosen portion, the Lord is my cup, and he holds my lot. Now, this might sound a lot like the sermon that I gave a while back on Jacob when I was talking about us not outpacing the presence, clinging on to the presence of God in this season and in all seasons, and really rooting us in the simplicity of the presence of God. And I will hold to that, right? Like, if that's the only sermon that I preach my entire life is that God loves you and wants to be with you, then I would count that as a success. But something happens to us when we posture ourselves in the presence of Jesus. There's a formation that occurs, not only in your own life, your desires, your heart, your interests, where you spend your energy change, but also for those around you. People are aware of a different dynamic. And we see that in Stephen's life, and that's what I want to talk about today. Now, real quick, I'll just say this. I flipped the camera angle so that we could show some of the empty seats because doing this kind of work, this kingdom work of preaching, uh, is really challenging when you're not in the same space together. Melissa talked about this the other day. And I long for the day when we can worship together and when we can be within the same space. One of the other dynamics of preaching in front of uh, the camera on the YouTube uh, is that you have to go shorter, like 15 minutes. So with that said, uh, 
please be gentle, because I'm not going to approach a ton of what we see about Stephen. I mean, it's just rich, and there's a fullness there. We're talking about two chapters, chapter 6 and chapter 7. What I want to just hunker down on a bit is what a full life in the presence of God produces. Uh, And three things that we see coming from Stephen's life. His character, his courage, and his countenance. And I'm aware that's very pastoral, and I use three C's, but you're welcome. No C.S. Lewis quotes. Okay. His character, his courage, and his countenance. Verse 8 says that Stephen was full of grace and power. Grace and power. These two um, things might seem paradoxical or on opposite ends, but they, they relate to one another and are necessary when we think about a life that's devoted to the presence of God and the ministry of God. Grace and power. Grace is this gracious Christ-like character, and then power is seen specifically within Stephen's life as signs and wonders, that people were amazed. This is likely speaking to healing gifts that we see in the book of Acts, like with Peter and with John, that's referenced back to the divine kind of ministry of Jesus and, and healing of every affliction. So Stephen held both in tension. To me, this is a picture of meekness. He was tender and tough. He was sweet and he was strong. They both uh, balanced one another out. Now, if we're really honest, or if I'm really honest, and you could pick one or two of those, signs and wonders, great power, or gracious character that seems ordinary, that seems like just foundational, I think we would try to drift towards power-based ministry. But that's not what happened with Stephen or at least what we have in the few chapters that we have of his life. The power did not prevent him from being present with others or practically serving the needs of others. Remember, he was the first deacon. God's grace flowed out of his life to others. And we learn that a person full of faith towards God that's yielded to the Spirit's control will be gracious to others and will manifest spiritual power, but not at the expense of removing godly character. Trisha Davis, she wrote, when giftedness outweighs character, implosion isn't a matter of if, but when. When giftedness outweighs character. It's almost impossible to overstate the importance of humility when we are talking about the things of God. Now, I love this, and this is out of the notes. I'm just jumping in here. But what I love is that when the Spirit ignited on the church— the diversity of gifting just blew up. It expanded. You see it in Stephen. You'll see it later in Philip. Just people who are serving practically, being faithful to the body, like following the leadership of God and the gifting of the Holy Spirit in a variety of different ways. And the needs of God uh, or of the people of God changed as well. And people filling in that gap. We need to be uh, adaptive. We need to be responsive to the movement of the Spirit. And we, I think, get that now more than ever. So God has implanted a gift of the Spirit in you and cultivating that gift. Whether it's signs and healings, where it's hospitality, whatever the gift might be, the living God has entrusted you with something that will be good news to you, that will glorify Him and will expand the kingdom of God. And oftentimes the things we do take more precedent over who we are, and in this case, godly character. One pastor put it like this, when our influence exceeds our character, we're heading towards disaster. Or when our impact is more important than our intimacy with God, 
then we are participating outside of the kingdom. And in our results-driven age, we can see power as more important than grace or success as more vital than character. And there, very quickly, it can become about us. But Christ's life and ministry stood in stark contrast to that type of thinking. Spiritual self-promotion, obsession with success wasn't uh, really seen in Jesus' ministry. Rather, what you see in Jesus' ministry is willing, submissive, obedient to the will of the Father. He lived to serve and to abide in the Father, and he modeled that for us. He defined success as loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself, attentive to the Father and eager to obey. Those are the things that I look for in my own life. Those are the things that I'm looking for in the people that I do life with or the people that I'm discipling or what have you or in community with. I want to see this consistent growth of character. I asked some of our elders, who are people I believe with high integrity and high character, if someone came to them and said, I want to grow in character, I want to build character, how would I go about doing that? Which I'm sure they get that question all the time. And one of them responded with this, I think that a lot of character building actually happens through painful situations and things that the world does not consider signs or paths to success. And so these are the things that we often avoid. Not only do we not like when we're enduring these ordinary seasons or when we're enduring suffering of trials of different kinds, we actively seek to avoid them. But these are the character-building seasons that are necessary for us to gain our endurance and gain our hope. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops the strength of character— that gives us confidence in our hope of salvation. And it's a hope that will not disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, character, which was produced because of the all-in nature of Stephen, the fullness of his faith, gave him courage to face his moment in his trial. And so courage is a product of, of clinging on to the presence of God. Well, Stephen's moment was what was already read, verse 8. He's full of grace and power. He performed many miracles and signs amongst the people. One day he's in a synagogue and he is, he's, he's talking, uh, uh, I mean, I would assume of Jesus and of the nature of, of Pentecost and the church when there is a group of people who started to debate with him. And verse 10 says that no one could stand against the matching of his wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. And so what did they do? They persuaded people to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheming Moses and even God. And so they arrested Stephen and they brought him to the high council. It says the lying witnesses said, this man is always talking against the temple, always talking against Moses. We heard him say that Jesus will destroy the temple and our customs that have been handed down from Moses. Now, this is the moment when Stephen knows that he's in trouble. He knows that he's in a trial. He knows that he is in a difficult situation. Yet he steps courageously into it. The false trial also mirrors the arrests and the accusations brought to Jesus. And there's a subtle little point of you spend time with Jesus and you respond in similar ways, but circumstances often are similar as well. So these faithful of Israel from far off places, they perceive Stephen as a threat. 
And like the religious leaders who interpreted the apostles, or interrogated rather, the apostles earlier in the story, these anxious souls cannot hear and cannot see the way, the truth, and the life which is being presented by Stephen. And once again, their behavior shows a contradiction of being the faithful, God's chosen people, acting against the very faith in which they have been entrusted with. There's a, a, a book uh, that's commentary on Acts by the Reverend Dr. Willie Jennings, and he speaks quite a lot to this, but he says very quickly that we should not be too judgmental of these men because the new order that surprises them requires a step of faith that can only be taken by a yielding of the Holy Spirit. He says, only through the Spirit could a people imagine the embrace of Jesus to be the embrace of their own deepest and most beautiful life that will also be the deepest and most beautiful embrace of a uh, deepest and most beautiful embrace of a new way of life. One that will be shaped by expansion and growth and joining. And so this, this hurdle for them of faith, this hurdle for them of trust, this hurdle of them of reception of the Holy Spirit was re really at play. So they arrest him and they slander him and they put him in a position where he has to uh, denounce what he had said earlier in order for him to have his own safety. But they forget that Stephen was full of God, the presence of God, that he was full of character, and that as a result, he was full of courage. In Acts chapter 7, they bring him before the council, and the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? And this is how he responds. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. For our glorious God appeared. And so at the table and at the synagogue and at the council, Stephen still attests to Jesus, our glorious God who appears to people and brings good news. We have to stop and marvel at the courage of this person. And so being in the presence of God, character, courage, but also countenance. Just before the verse that I read, I know I'm pinging on back and forth, but you're enjoying it sitting there watching me on YouTube. Love you guys. Verse 15 says this. At this point, everyone in the high council, they stared at Stephen. They were fixated on Stephen. What was different about this one that they had maybe seen before in his master and Lord, Jesus? His face became as bright as an angel. This makes me think a lot about Moses when he met with God as a friend. He came down from the mountain and his face was filled with the Shekinah glory, right? The reflection of being with God. Stephen had peace and confidence. He had grace and power. He was modeling what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 27. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing that I will seek after most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So my aim is not on my circumstance. My aim is, is not on my success. My aim isn't on any of those things. My aim is on Jesus. My focus is on him. And so I'm going to attest to him where people are, are listening. So he says to the Sanhedrin, will you listen to me? Will you hear me? I'm coming to you as a brother, and I see you as a father. I want to remind you that God has appeared to you, and there's a responsibility to walk in his ways. And, and ultimately, he, he ended, and this is very subtle, but he said, you missed the mark. You've missed the very Son of God. 
Verse 54 of chapter 7 says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fist at him in rage, but Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed steadily into heaven. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open. The Son of Man is standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. And they were so enraged that they covered their ears and they shouted, how hard is it to give up a paradigm? How hard is it to give up a worldview? How staggering is it when Jesus comes in and stands amongst us? And they could not handle it. They rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him to death. His accusers took off their coats. They laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Kind of a big deal because he becomes the Apostle Paul. And they stoned him, yet, Je- uh, yet Stephen, I said Jesus because he's embodying Jesus. How gold is that? Anywho, <laughs> he says, receive my spirit, O Lord. He fell on his knees and he shouted, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And at those words, he died. Stephen is really a model to us who are striving the way. And Stephen modeled Jesus in life and in death. He commits his spirit to Jesus as Christ had done with the Father. And he asked forgiveness for those who persecuted for they did not know what they were doing. So my prayer for you in the midst of this jumbled sermon, grace and peace to you, is that you would still remain devoted and persistent and stubborn with your pursuit of Jesus, but that you'd step out just for a second and see what God is doing amongst you. He's establishing a character that is attractive to the world because here's the good news. The secular narrative is is not working. People are looking for good news and they can see it embodied in your life. May the Lord shine his face upon you and may people see you as a person of peace as kind of an usher to the gateway to the kingdom of God. I pray for courage and strength and joy this week. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.